Good morning. I'd like to welcome you here to Deep Springs Church this morning and uh, welcome those who are listening on the FM transmitter. We do still have those who listen on our FM transmitter. Thank you for those who are watching on Facebook. Those who may be listening on uh, the podcast or however you may be listening, we greet you. And certainly those who are gathered today, it's wonderful to see your beautiful faces. It's good to see spring-like weather on the horizon. And there's a lot to be thankful for. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 24. And this is a, uh, a very familiar story to those of us who know the Old Testament. Or I should say are familiar with the Old Testament. None of us really know it all the way through. But um, this is the story of Abraham uh, dispatching his servant to find a bride for his son, Isaac. And so uh, this is going to be a really interesting story. And I believe that it's going to be one of those that you can find application regardless of your station in life. There may be someone here who's looking for a potential mate, and this will give you the guidelines for how to uh, find a mate. That's probably the most important decision you'll make in your life other than making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But uh, it's not just for those who are looking for a mate, because I dare say many of us in here have already made that choice. Um, And if you are married, then you certainly don't need to be looking for another mate. I got nervous when Talisha started singing about kissing her boyfriend. I thought, did Paul know about this? But uh, but the joke was on me. Uh, Great song, by the way. I love that woman at the well. Um, But regardless of your station in life, we need God's guidance. We need God to direct us and lead us. And this is a wonderful story. And it also shows us the relationship between the sovereignty of God and free will of, of man, if you want to call it that. And, and they beautifully work together, and this is so, it's illustrated in this particular passage. So, lest we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the opportunity to preach. God, just empty me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let me speak as the oracles of God. And I ask that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. And I trust you, Lord, and I love you, and I praise you for what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, Genesis chapter 24. Now, we're going to try something different here today. I'll try to give Sam a break and see if my slides will work for me here this morning. Now, before we get into it, let's talk about some of the major characters in the story, shall we? The first one, it might not be uh, obvious to us, is Jehovah. He's the first character in the story. Yahweh. The Lord of glory. Now, we're not going to see uh, clouds and fire and miracles as such, but you will see the hand of God in all of this particular uh, scenario here. Uh, We see also Abraham. Abraham, he is one of the key figures in the story. He is the the father of many nations. Uh, There is an unnamed servant here, and I'll go ahead and uh, clue you in that I believe this is a type or an idiom of the Holy Spirit. Anytime you see an unnamed servant. Now he has a name. Most of us believe that he's Eliezer of Damascus. Uh, this is, uh, and he's not just a slave. He was, he was in charge of all of Abraham's business dealings. He's like a business partner too. He's a very trusted and he's the most magnificent kind of guy. And we'll see that as we go through the story. Um, also Rebecca. Uh, in the Hebrew her name is Rivka. Rebecca, and she is Abraham's great niece, and uh, I think she would be Isaac's like first cousin twice removed or once removed. Not sure how all that works, but it was a different time period, folks. It was before the law of Moses, and so that's all I'll say about that. Uh, Isaac, we're not going to really talk about him. We won't see him till the end of the narrative, which is significant because he, uh, the last time we saw Isaac, he was being offered on Mount. Moriah, then he vanished from the narrative, and he will not appear again until he meets the bride. Um, Laban, who is Rebecca's brother, we're going to talk about him, not this week, but next week, Lord willing. And he's an interesting character, and uh, he's, he's full of surprises. Now, a character that you may not 
be all that aware of in the story <laughs> or characters are ten camels. They're unnamed also. Uh, there's ten camels in the story, okay? And, and you're going to see why I drew attention to them in just a moment. I know you're dying to know what's going on with the ten camels. Okay, interesting fact here. In all the book of Genesis, this is the longest chapter in the entire book of Genesis. Longer than the creation story, longer than the fall of man, thankfully. Longer than the flood of Noah. The story of a father finding a bride for his beloved son is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. And I find that fascinating. Okay, let's get right into the text. Verse 1. It says, and Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of this house, and this is that Eliezer of Damascus, that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. All right, let's, let's examine this for a moment. The first thing we see is the, the oath that's going to be requested of Abraham. Now it says that Abraham was old and well stricken in age. Only two other times in the Old Testament is this expression used. It's used once of Joshua at the end of his life. And it's used of David at the end of his life. So there's three, that number three factors in here. Now, in case you're keeping score, Abraham is 140 years old at this point. So we would say that he was well advanced in age. He was no spring chicken. He's 140 years old, and he would live another 35 years. He would die at 175 years old. And God had certainly blessed him in all things. He had seen the fulfillment of many of the promises of God, except really for the possession of the land and his descendants. But God had given him many things. He had made his name great. He had blessed him. He had made him a blessing, and so on and so forth. But there remained the only property that Abraham owned in the promised land was a well, the well of Beersheba, and a, a, a parcel of land that he bought a cave to bury Sarah and, and his family in. That was, even though he owned the whole thing, God had given it to him. That was the only thing that he physically had owned, but God has certainly blessed him. And so Abraham says to the, to, to the servant, who notice he says that servant ruled over everything. He was not just some uh, menial slave here. He was a, an important business partner, a trusted advisor probably as well. But um, he says, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. Now we're going to encounter some customs that are unusual. Uh, for one, the arranged marriage is a, a custom that we're not, uh, all, all that familiar with. But another thing is this swearing, uh, putting the hand under the thigh. This is a euphemism uh, for, you know, and I'm not even going to tell you what it's a euphemism for, but you can, you can probably read between the lines here. And the idea here is that if a person does not fulfill their obligation, um, this word thigh is also translated as loins in other places. And, and remember, Jacob had commanded Joseph not, to be, not for him to be buried in Egypt, and he made Joseph swear under his thigh, put his hand under his thigh. It's a euphemism, and the idea here is that if the person does not fulfill their obligation, that their descendants would come back and avenge them. Okay, So it's the, the, the loins or the, the place where the seed uh, would, would be resident. And again, he's an unnamed servant, much like an unnamed servant introduces Ruth to Boaz, if you remember from that story. There was an unnamed servant. Okay, <clears throat> number three, verse three. He says, I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth. You know, God is in both places. He's omnipresent. He's working in heaven, but he's also working here in the earth. Whether you know it or not, whether you are, are, are perceptive to what he's doing, God is always at work in the earth. He's on the throne. Now, he, he commands this servant. And he says, you cannot, shall not take a wife of the Canaanites. Now, the Canaanites were, were uh, idolatrous. They were pagans. They were given the child sacrifice, sexual immorality. I mean, they were, they were not good people. And if you, the more you learn about them, 
the more you'll understand why God commanded Joshua to eradicate. And it seems harsh to us. The more you understand about the cruelty and the, uh, the ungodliness of these people, you'll understand why God commanded Joshua to, to annihilate the folks and not make covenants with them and not make treaties with them. But he says in verse 4, You shall go into uh, my country, into my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Now, one quick note before we move on. One of the reasons that God was concerned, or Abraham was concerned, that, it, that Isaac didn't marry a Canaanite, it, was not, it had nothing to do with the color of their skin or their appearance. It had everything to do with the fact that the Canaanites worshipped other gods, you see. And that's why that prohibition was given. And this was before the law of Moses. But God said he had warned his people not to intermarry with the people of the land because they would turn their heart away from the Lord and unto idols. And we find that even one of Israel's kings did that, Solomon. He was the wisest guy who, who lived. But uh, he did something that wasn't too smart. He worshipped other gods. And David never did that. But he says, Go into my country and to my kindred and take, into my, uh, take a wife unto my son Isaac. Now, we get to verse 5, and the servant comes, uh, he, he announces the uh, what-if scenario, okay? This, he's been tasked with a, a heavy assignment. And he says, well, what if the woman will not be willing to follow me? It's a legitimate question. I mean, not everybody would be willing to leave their homeland and go sight unseen to a new place and marry this guy. You kind of feel sorry for some of the women in the ancient cultures. You know, for all, for all she knows, Isaac is, uh, you know, 600 pounds and just an ogre of a man, a terrible housekeeper. Well, I mean, but she, she's going to be asked to go sight unseen to, uh, to, to meet him. And so the servant says, well, what if she's not willing? Must I needs bring thy son again into the land whence thou camest? You see, that's always the temptation that Satan is going to offer to you and me is to go back to the familiar to go back to what God has delivered us from. And God never wants us to go out. Whenever people are leaving the land in the Bible, bad things happen. Egypt, uh, excuse me, Abraham left the land. He went into Egypt. Bad things happened. Uh, remember the story of Ruth. There was a famine in the land. What happened? Elimelech and uh, Naomi left, and they went to Moab. What happened? Downward spiral. God did not want Isaac to leave the land. It would cause him to be disinherited, if he were to marry the inhabitants of the land. But he didn't want, and Abraham, that's why he's sending the servant. It's because Abraham couldn't go back. Neither did he want Isaac to go back. But in verse 6, Abraham said unto him, Beware. Now, the King James, I love the way the King James preserves the emphatic. The other translations miss it. And by the way, there's no one translation that can give us the full picture of everything. It's good to always compare when you're reading. And I preach from the old thing, the old King James, because that's what I'm used to. But I'm not KJV only. Just, just, you know, for your, uh, for your own information. And the Bible is written in Hebrew and Greek. And everything that we have is a translation. But the King James preserves the emphatic here. It says, but beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The you is emphatic. Beware you, don't you bring him there again. Now Abraham is concerned about this. And in verse 7, he, he explains the concern. The concern has to do with the Abrahamic promise. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me and sware unto me, saying, Unto your seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. I love this. He restates the Abrahamic promise, but then he says, With confidence, his angel will go before you. Now, we're not told anything about this angel. And often the angel of the Lord in the Bible is God himself because the angel will speak in the first person. And so Abraham, uh, gives, he gives this servant a measure of relief in case he's worried about how things are going to work out. And do you realize that I don't know what you're agonizing over in your decision-making processes, but God's going to work it out. God's going to go before you in your problem, in your dilemma. And he's going to work it out. You don't have to worry about how you're going to plot and scheme. His angel will go before you. 
And in verse 8, he says, And if the woman will not be willing to follow you, then you shall be clear from this my oath. Okay? So he, he gives him an out. Now, I don't think for a moment that Abraham believed that it wasn't going to work out. I believe he's just trying to ease the anxiety of the servant. Okay? I, I, I think that's all that's going on here. But he repeats the warning. Notice again. And you're going to see the theme of repetition in this particular story too. He says, only bring not my son there again. Don't take him to Haran. Don't take him to Mesopotamia. Bad things will happen. Verse 9, we see that the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham. Aren't you glad we don't do business deals like that anymore? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. And he swore to him concerning that matter. All right. Now, we get to verse 10. It says, And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia and into the city of Nahor. Now, probably the city is not named Nahor, but it's Haran. It's the city where he lived. And you say, why does Henry have a picture of a camel up here? Well, uh, my oldest daughter is here today she didn't know I was going to do this I didn't know she was going to be here her name is Rebecca also by the way Rebecca Abigail how ironic is that God kind of winked at me today and this is a picture of Rebecca Abigail and her baby sister Amber on a camel and they're not in the Middle East they're at the Ark Encounter in Kentucky okay and I thought at this moment I might share with you a few fun interesting facts about camels and I did some extensive research, and those of you who know me know what that consists of. <laughs> what did we do before Google? Did we, just, we just walked around ignorant, didn't we? we? Just walked around not knowing stuff. All right. Fact number one. There are two types of camels. The one-humped, or dromedary camels, and the two-humped, which are Bactrian camels. I guess that's a dromedary there, huh? Okay. Camels have three sets of eyelids and two rows of eyelashes to keep the sand out of their eyes. See, God's got every detail covered, doesn't he? It's amazing. Number three, camels have thick lips which let them forage for thorny plants other animals can't eat. Number four, camels can completely shut their nostrils during sandstorms. I wish I could do that when I'm putting pepper on my food. <laughs> sneeze every time number five thanks to thick pads of skin on their chest and knees camels can run comfortably and sit in very hot sand number six most of what we know about a camel is what is synonymous with Wednesday it's hump day right <laughs> and most people think that their humps have got water in them but that's not true their humps let them store up to 80 pounds of fat now, see, I do it in my belly, but they do it with their hump. And they can live off of that for weeks or even months. Pretty cool, huh? All right. Number seven, camels are very strong and can carry up to 900 pounds for 25 miles a day. Number eight, camels can travel up to 40 miles per hour, the same as a racehorse. I bet you didn't know that, did you? I didn't either. Number nine, and I'll stop here for now. Don't make a camel angry. They can spit as a way to distract whatever they think is a threat. So that camel will spit on you. Watch out. All right, back to the text. And I'll move on from the camel, even though she's so cute, you know, on there. The servants took ten camels of his master and departed and went to Mesopotamia. Now that journey, by the way, was about a 450-mile journey from where they were to Mesopotamia on a camel. And another interesting fact, and I didn't know my mom and dad were going to be here today, but that's about the same distance that my dad went to find my mother, and he left Marshville, North Carolina, and went to Pleasant Grove, Alabama. Not to the exact, but almost 450 miles. 
And uh, I don't know if he regrets that trip or not, but I'm glad you did because I'm here. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you for going on that trip. And I could share more about it, but this is not about me or about you. <laughs> about my, Y'all think, well, he don't, all he does is talk about his family. I, I never do this kind of thing. And I didn't know either one of them was going to be here this morning. But God did. All right. Verse 11, it says, He made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that the women go out to draw water. So uh, we see here also that women were hard workers. They were the ones tasked with going out and getting the water for the household, probably the unmarried women. But uh, so for a father to lose his daughter in marriage, he was losing the helper on the farm, you know, or, or whatever, the, the, uh, the household. They went, they went out to draw water. Now, interesting fact here, for those of you who like this kind of thing, I love it. There's three times in the Old Testament where a man has an encounter with a woman at a well, and it leads to marriage in the Old Testament. Number one is this story where the servant meets Rebekah. Uh, number two is where Jacob meets Rachel at the well. And number three is when Moses leaves Egypt and he comes to Midian and he meets Zipporah at the well. So there's three times that a man meets a woman uh, at a well and a marriage is, uh, is what happens after that. So the moral of the story is stay away from the well, guys. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm only kidding. All right. Now in verse 12, we see the prayer of the servant. And he said, O Lord God of my master. Notice he's calling on, Lord is all caps in your Bible. That means it's Jehovah. So this servant, he's also been circumcised. If you've read earlier in Genesis, we know that he, all of Abraham's household was circumcised. And so this servant is also a worshiper of Yahweh, of Jehovah. And he prays, he says, O Lord God of my master Abraham. You'll, what you'll find, this term, my master, uh, is repeated like 19 times in this narrative. So this guy is loyal to his master. He never speaks of himself, but his only concern is to please his master. Um, and he says, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Now the word kindness here, you should be familiar with this by now. This is our Hebrew word hesed, or hesed is actually how it's pronounced in Hebrew. I'm getting better with that guttural thing, that ha, ha, ha. Hesed, and we'll encounter that three times. And the Hesed, it speaks of the loyal, the covenant loyalty. That God's going to be faithful to the covenant promise that He made Abraham. Here's what I want you to get out of this: even though He's on a divine mission from God, Abraham is, has got the promises of God, but yet He's still praying for guidance. You see, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I do, but I also believe. That one of the ways that God's will is done on the earth, as a matter of fact, the only way, is when people pray. God has chosen the method of prayer to fulfill his will in the world. And so this servant is praying, and he's calling upon the covenant promises that God has made to Abraham. He's praying in accordance with God's will. Verse 13, he says, Behold, I stand here by the well of water. Well, God knows where he is, but, you know, it's always good that you, know, that you let the Lord know where you are. He says, Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And so in verse 14, he is going to come up with his fleece. If you've ever read the story of Gideon, you know, Gideon asked for God to show him a sign. And uh, that's not how we are supposed to do things, okay? But God, uh, he, he condescends to the servant's request here. Sometimes God will meet us where we are. Um, but he, and the reason we don't ask for signs is because our will might not line up with God's will. You know, I may be asking God for a sign, and he may, that might not be what he wants to do. And he's God. And so he's going to come up with a fleece. And he said in verse 14, Let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink. And I will give your camels drink also. Remember I told you that the camels will be an important character in the story. Let the same be she that hath appointed, you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed, here's again, hesed, 
kindness unto my master. Okay, so he's got his fleece out. And he's praying. He's asking God. And that's what you and I need to do. Before we make any major decisions, folks, we need to be praying. Certainly in the selection of a mate. In the changing of a job. And don't get mad about me, but major purchases too. Because we're, we're supposed to be stewards of God's money. And it's, it's not our money, it's God's money. Everything that I have belongs to God. That's the Christian concept. Even my life. The Bible says I have been redeemed with a price. I'm not my own. But see, we, we have a hard time with that in the West because we're so individualistic and it's all about my rights and my freedoms and this and that and the other. But the truth is God owns everything. I'm breathing borrowed air. God owns the breath breath that I breathe. So he's praying. This is the proper response. And here we find out that God interrupts his prayer. Now verse 15, it came to pass before he had done speaking. And that's reminiscent of uh, of Isaiah uh, 65, 24. It says, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Uh, remember also when Daniel was praying and Gabriel came and touched him. And he was, he was worn out because he had gone, you know, it taken him about three minutes to get from the throne of God to Babylon. And that, that was the interrupted prayer. Wouldn't it be so wonderful if we lived so close to God that the answers would come before we were even finished praying? If you live close to the will of God, that will be closer to your experience. The reason we don't experience that is because we're too busy doing our own thing. We're asking God to bless what we've decided, already decided to do, you see. But if we would put, pray according to the will of God, we would see these kind of things also. It says, while he was praying, behold, Rebekah came out. Rivka came out. And the Holy Spirit tells us here, she was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. Now here's what I think is cool. Remember at the end of Genesis 22, after Abraham had offered Isaac, and after that there's a genealogy. Remember that? We talked about that last week. And in that genealogy, we're told exactly who Rebecca's ancestors are, where she comes from. Now here's the cool thing. The servant has no, at this point, the servant has no clue who she is. But we do. Isn't that interesting? He has no clue what's going on, but we do. When, when the Holy Spirit tells us here that Rebecca comes out and she's the daughter of Bethuel from Milcah of Nahor, we know as the reader, oh boy, this is the gal. This is the one. Isn't it just a coinky dink that the very person that the Lord had introduced into the narrative is the first one that comes out to the well to meet. <laughs> Do you like that, James? Do you like it when I said coinky dink? <laughs> Over there grinning like a possum. <laughs> you know, for the believer, there are no coincidences. There's no accidents. Now, we make bad choices, and sometimes we live the consequences. But if you are a child of God, listen, the Bible says, Romans eight twenty eight. we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Okay. So we know, and it says she came out with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And I've got a bunch of notes up here, and I can barely read them. I don't know if it's the font or if it's just my eyes, or uh, I don't need these notes anyway, so <laughs> good thing for us. All right. <laughs> so it says the damsel was very fair to look upon, she was a virgin. Now, the word for uh, virgin here is betula. And it doesn't always mean uh, a, a virgin in the narrowest sense. There's another word used for a virgin in the narrowest sense. And that's used in Isaiah when it talks about the mother of Christ. But, but here, the Holy Spirit gives us a qualifier. Not only is she a virgin, but the Bible says that neither had any man uh, known her. Hebrew word is yada. Just like Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Okay. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. 
She's a spunky gal. I like Rebecca. Um, she, she really impressed me uh, as, I, as I read about her. She's beautiful. You know, the Bible also says that, that Sarah was beautiful, that Rachel was beautiful. And so only, it's only fitting that, uh, that Rebecca, Rivka, would also be beautiful to, to look upon. And, and I'll say this to you, and I'm not just trying to be funny, you know. But, but uh, if you're a single person in here, I believe God can have somebody for you. You don't have to settle for anything. God can give you a mate that you're attracted to. You know, I know some people think, well, if I get a person that's got the qualities that I'm looking for, I won't be attracted to them. No, I believe that this text shows us that, that, it, that the right mate, God will bring you someone into your life that you're attracted to. Um, and y'all are not giving me any affirmation on that, but I, I think it's true anyway. I, I believe it's true. I believe that. All right. Y'all are some sleepy folks this morning, aren't you? Daylight savings time's just around the corner. I can only wait to see how sleepy you are then. You lose an hour of sleep. All right. She was very fair to look upon. She's beautiful. Uh, and, and she's active. She's very active. Uh, notice the verbs in 17 through 20. The servant ran to meet her. Notice the servant did not passively wait. He went to meet her. He was active. We love God because he first loved us. Jesus said no man can come to us unless the Father draws him by the Spirit. Hopefully you're seeing some of these. And that's why I wanted to clue you in about the unnamed servant. You know, So we'll begin to think about the types, the, the, the greater grand scheme of things. Okay. The servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little pitcher, a little water of thy pitcher. So far, so good. And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she hasted. Notice all these verbs here. She ran, she, she hasted, she let down her pitcher upon her hand, gave him to drink, and when she had done giving him drink, she said, oh boy, fasten your seatbelts. I will draw water for your camels also. And don't miss this little last phrase here. Until they have done drinking. Is that what your Bible says? And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough, and ran again into the well to draw water, and drew for how many of the camels? Ten. All ten camels. All right. Now, I shared with you nine interesting facts about camels. Are you ready for number ten? Well, Brother Lynn's ready. Everybody else is like, I, I couldn't care less. Just, just get on with it. All right. Fun fact about camels, number 10. When a camel finally does find water, he can drink up to 40 gallons at one time. And Rebecca doesn't have a siphon and a hose. She got a pitcher. So you can just picture. Let's, let's, let's just conservatively say, okay, let's just conservatively say that it was 30 gallons, not 40 gallons, times 10 camels, 300 gallons of water. Old Sister Rivka filling up a swimming pool over there. You see, and what I want you to understand out of this is that this was a long, drawn-out process. She went above and beyond what she was called to do. I posted this on my social media yesterday. Those of you that are friends with me may have seen it. And it was in regards to this. Make every occasion a great occasion. Because you never know that you might be measured for something even greater. You see, Rebecca, at this point, she has no idea that this man is about to propose marriage for I. She has no clue. Now, she knows he's wealthy. The ten camels are a dead giveaway. <laughs> it's kind of hard to hide that, the ten camels. As they say, you can't hide money. I got a friend who loves to say that. She, she knows this guy's no ordinary guy, but she has no idea that she's going to get a marriage proposal. She's just showing hospitality and doing the most menial and humble of tasks. But you see, watering those ten camels changed her whole life. She went from being just a, a daughter, an unmarried daughter in the household of Bethul, 
to being the ancestor of the Son of God because she watered ten camels. You see, That was the sign. It's for her to water those ten camels. Verse 21. It's just in the man wondering at her held his peace. Don't you know he did? He had some time to think about it, didn't he? <laughs> and he's just watching her. And I can just picture he's just sizing it up. He's thinking, wow, this is a remarkable young lady. We already know she's good looking. Guys, it's one thing for you to find a good looking woman. It's another thing for you to find a girl with a little water, ten camels. You need to find a girl that can do some small engine repair. You need to find a girl that can, can, can fix some stuff around the house. I got one. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. You need to find a girl that can, that can do some stuff that can ride a lawnmower, not just a zero turn. You need to find one that will run the weed eater while you ride the zero turn. <laughs> Glory. I feel the witness in my spirit. You're finally awake. I finally said something that resonated with you. Thank you. Yes, good things come to those who wait. Praise God. The man wondering at her held his peace. I found a scripture in Isaiah 28, 16. It says that whoever believes in the Lord will not act hastily, you see. Now, he could have jumped the gun. He could have said, all right, this is it. This is the answer. And a lot of times that's what we do. We say, this is God's will immediately. But no, it says he held his peace. Whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous. And it came to pass in verse 22, as the camels had done drinking. And by the way, it may have taken Rebecca a long time to fill them up, but it only takes a camel like five minutes to drink 30 gallons of water. So that's no big deal. I can empty the Golden Corral buffet in less than 10 minutes myself. Yeah. Try drinking 30 gallons of water in five minutes and come back and tell me how that works out for you. All right. But we all need to be drinking more water, don't we? It's a good reminder. As the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring. Now, the word for earring here in the Hebrew is nesim. And don't let this offend your sensibilities, but it means a nose ring. It doesn't mean an earring. But the KJV translators chose to translate it as earring uh, for whatever reason. Almost all the others are going to translate it as nose ring. And, uh, and you'll see this later next week if you, if you come back for more, if I don't offend you too bad. You'll see this, but uh, it was a half shekel weight, and again, that's uh, that's something that scholars differ on how much that is. But but the point is, it was a valuable thing, and two bracelets or amulets uh, of ten shekels weight of gold. All right. Then he said, "Whose daughter are you?" That's a good question to ask any potential suitor. You know, the first question, if, if any of you singles here, widows, widowers, singles, if any of you uh, have a potential suitor, the first question you need to ask is, who's your daddy? Where do you go to church? And I'm being facetious here, but when I say, who's your daddy, I mean, do you serve the Lord? Because the devil's got kids too. Remember, Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you're of your father, the devil. And they really loved that when he said that. But uh, you need to ask the question, do you believe in the Lord? And listen to me very carefully, single person. If the answer is no, then we're done. We're not going any further. I don't care how good looking they are. I don't care how much money they have, how successful they are, how charming they are. I don't care if they've got a beach house and a lake house and a boat. If the answer is no, I don't serve the Lord, we're done. Yes, thank you. Whose daughter are you? Tell me, I pray thee. Now remember, he doesn't know who she is. We do. And is there room in your father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. Uh, interesting here, the woman seems to factor prominently here in Haran. There's all this emphasis on Milka and the mother's house. I don't, we may develop that later on or we may not. I don't know. But um, she said, I'm the daughter whom she bare unto Nahor, who was Abraham's uh, brother. And so when the servant hears this, you know he's thinking, yes. 450 miles on a camel. It's been a long trip. 
But it's all been worth it because we've got the one we're looking for. She said, moreover unto him, we have enough straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. Notice her concern again, not just for the man and his entourage. We'll find out there are others with him. But for the camels, too. Her hospitality extended to the camels. In verse 26, it says, And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. Only four words in the Hebrew. Ish kadad shaha Yahweh. This man bowed his head and he worshipped Jehovah. Don't miss that. Now, the deal has yet to be finalized, okay? It can still fall through. There's going to be a negotiation. Oddly enough, with Laban, who's her brother. Kind of an odd custom. And we, if you know anything about Laban, you know he's a lot like a used car salesman. No offense to used car salesman. I'm sure you're the exception, <laughs> if you're listening. But, but Laban is, is a shifty character. So, when you're dealing with shifty characters, things can go sideways in a hurry. But notice he's praising him before the deal is finalized. Some of us will never see the promises of God in our life because we refuse to praise him while we're waiting. Amen. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. We've got to praise him in the meantime. You've got to praise him before the answer comes. Praise him while the answer is on its way. And you'll be glad you did. He bowed his head and worshiped. And notice what he says in verse 27. Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham. Barak Yahweh Elohim. Praise God. Who hath not left destitute my master of his. Now the King James says mercy. Guess what word it is in the Hebrew. Hesed. Three times in the narrative we run into Hesed. That God has shown. It, there was a prayer that God would show Hesed. And now the answer has come. God has shown Hesed. And he's not left my master destitute of his mercy and his truth. And I love this phrase. I being in the way. The Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Now some of us are in the way and we need to get out of the way. But that's not the sense here. The sense is being on the way. God leads moving people. God leads people who are doing things for him. We're, we're too lazy. We want to sit around and pray for God to do everything. But notice he says, I, being in the way, the Lord led me. Do you want to be led by the Lord? The Bible says that the steps of a good man are led by the Lord. They're ordered by the Lord. It's a difference there. They're ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And it says, And the damsel ran. I bet she did. <laughs> the damsel ran and told them of who? Her mother's house. Interesting. Now, Bethul is alive, but the phrase here is mother's house. These things. All right. So I'm going to stop with the narrative there. And uh, for some reason, my clicker is not working. Oh, there we go. For those of you who love alliterative applications, bon appetit. Points of application here. By the way, there's some preachers, probably 95% of the preachers that go through seminary, their sermons are three points in a poem, and it works great for them. That just doesn't work for me for some reason. It's like David trying to wear Saul's armor. You know, it's all clunky, and, and I just can't do it. But here's some alliteration for those of you who love that kind of thing. All the points start with the same letter, you know. Number one is purity of the believer. Abraham was concerned that Isaac did not marry one of the Canaanite daughters. You and I as believers are called to be different. Jesus said we are in the world, but we are not of the world. The Bible says to come out from among them, the unbelievers, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to be different. We are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You know what the yoke is? It's an instrument of work, of service. You know, 
You wouldn't want a donkey and a, a, a camel to be yoked together. Why? Because they're not going to be able to get much work done, are they? They're going to frustrate one another. And I'm going to suggest to you three areas where believers don't need to be unequally yoked. Uh, number one, in business. Now, I know that we have to do transactions with, with, you know, with unbelievers all the time. But I don't believe that Christians ought to enter into serious business ventures with unbelievers. Because most people that are not saved are motivated by one thing, and that is the love of money. I didn't say money. Money's not evil, but the love of money. And if you are committed to doing Christian, using Christian principles in your business, having an unbeliever as your partner is going to be a snare to you. Because they're going to see areas where you ought to cut corners, areas where you ought to cheat people, areas where you ought to defraud them, and areas where you ought to, you know, just be deceptive. Now, again, Abraham, he made agreements with unbelievers. We, we see that. He made covenants and treaties with unbelievers because he had to dwell among them. But I don't believe we need to be entering into serious ventures with people who don't believe in the Lord like we do. Number two, and this should go without saying, but religion. We, we don't all worship the same God. Now, I'm not talking about denominations within Christendom. I'm not talking about Baptists and Methodists getting together, okay? That's apples to oranges. But I'm talking about other religions. Islam is not, the, the God of Islam, Allah, is not the God of the Bible. He's not. You, and you can't make it so. Thirdly, marriage. Don't, if you're a believer, don't marry an unbeliever. And I, and I can't tell you how many people I've counseled over the years. And I've been doing this a while now. And people say, well, I'm so in love with this person. And they don't serve the Lord, but I know I'll be a good influence in their life. And once we get married, they'll listen to me and they'll start coming to church and they'll start doing, you know, the right things. And it always, always ends in failure. Inevitably what happens instead of that person drawing the unbeliever out of darkness is they get pulled down into that lifestyle. Number one, the purity of the believer. Number two, the providence of God. You know, in this story, there was no miracles, signs, wonders, no flashing lights, no rainbows, smoke, or any of that thing. But God was in all of the details. The angel of God was going before them, working out all of the things, working out all of the, the hindrances and the encumbrances, making all the right things happen at the right time, you know, just like Ruth just happened to be in the field of Boaz. And he just happens to be at the well at the time when Rebecca comes out. The providence of God. You know what Proverbs 3 says? It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your ways, your paths. Amen. The providence of God. For the believer we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. Number three, prayer for guidance. Even though Abraham had a promise. Listen, you know, Abraham could have just... Abraham was uh, in the, the, the senior moments of his life. Abraham could have sat back and said, well, you know, I believe God. God's sovereign. He'll work it all out. Isaac will marry the right gal. I trust God. But he didn't do that, did he? He tasked his servant and he warned him. How many times? Like three or four times. Don't do it this way. You've got to do it God's way. God is concerned with the details, folks. And even though God is sovereign, you and I make choices every day that are going to impact us for time and for eternity. The providence of God, prayer for guidance. In every major decision that you make, you ought to ask God, God, is this your will? God, is this going to bring honor and glory to you? Is this going to be a snare unto me? I was, uh, I was driving home the other day on my country dial, and I heard Garth Brooks singing, I thank God for unanswered prayers. And that was a great theological statement he made because a lot of the things that we pray for, we don't want and we don't really need. And if we got them, it'd be a snare to us. All right, number four. Praise God on the way. I being in the way, the Lord led me. And as you go, praise the Lord, being fully confident that what he's promised he's able to perform. Would you stand I plan to deal with this next week.
God willing. But this story is not just a story about Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah. There's a greater theme here. And the Bible says that, that there was a man that made it, arranged a marriage for his son. Jesus told a parable. There's a great wedding that's coming. And I believe it's sooner than any of us realize. There's a great wedding that's coming. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And only those who are a spouse to Christ will be able to participate in that, in that wedding. You may be here today. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're a dead man or a dead woman walking if you don't know. Not only will you not experience the blessings of heaven and the marriage supper of the Lamb, but hell is a place of torment. It's a place of agony. I was reminded this week, you know, we read that story about the rich man who was in hell. Guess what? He's still there right now. He's been waiting for a drink of water at least 2,000 years. That's a terrible thought. And one day hell will be emptied into the lake of fire. Hell is just a probationary period now. But, but separation from God is eternal. Eternity is a long time. The most important decision you can make today is not who you're going to marry or what you're going to purchase in the future, but are you right with God? The question to ask yourself is not, am I one of the elect? The question you need to ask yourself is, have I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Have I repented of my sins and called on the name of the Lord to save me? If you've not done that today, this may be your last opportunity. This may be the last invitation that you ever receive from the Lord. But what a gracious invitation. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. Is any man thirsty? Let him come unto me and drink. And him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come here today. You may be here today seeking guidance for some major decision in your life. You know, I just covered a few of them. Major purchases, marriage, business, salvation. There may be other things that you're praying about and you really need the Lord's guidance. I invite you to come here to this altar and ask God, Lord, I've got my plans, I've got my desires, but Lord, not my will, but yours be done. If that's you, would you come this morning?